0: In each episode, you'll hear a conversation with a guest sharing their story and insights about what can help when you're adapting to loss. At Grief Stories, we're helping grief make sense one story at a time. Today's guest is Shannon Ortez, clinician and suicide loss survivor and founder of Light After Loss at the Hope and Healing Center in Canton, Ohio. And welcome to the Grief Stories podcast. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me. It's definitely an honor to be here and talking to you.
0: So, at Grief Stories, what we do is we really talk about sharing stories—stories um, stories of loss, stories of challenge, and stories of hope and healing—to help other people know that they're not alone in their grief. And so, I invited you to be a podcast guest today because I'm—I uh, know that you have a, a powerful story of loss experience. And uh, also a powerful story of healing working in your life. So I'm going to begin by asking you today to share a little bit of your story of loss with us.
1: All right, where to begin? Um, Sadly, I don't just have one story. So I have multiple losses, but one definitely takes the cake, I guess. Um, So I lost my mom. I'm an only child. I lost my mom in 2011. And that wasn't necessarily a surprise. She did have lung cancer, and um, even though it was diagnosed later, um, and she only lived probably for four or five months after after the diagnosis, there was that you know kind of closure of you know being able to say goodbye and all of those things, which is similar to you know I lost my dad in two thousand fourteen. After that. And four days later, I lost my father in law. So I was married to Craig. And um, I would say his dad, I was probably closer to his dad than I was my own dad. And so that just those back to back kind of losses were hard just because Craig and I were both only children. And so when we, you know, we had one daughter at the time. And then um, when his dad and my dad passed, we had had another. So we have two little girls and, you know, they're not going to know their grandparents and, you know, just that whole thing. And um, Craig and his dad were super close. He's in a pod and uh, Craig struggled with some mental illness and his dad was always kind of his voice of reason. Um, When my voice was no longer, it was kind of like the peanuts. Wah, 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 wah. So yes. yeah. call his dad and say, Got to get him back on the tracks. He's not listening to me. So, um, once his dad was gone, I was definitely concerned, but never in a million years did I think that, you know, two years later that he would take his own life. So, my husband, Craig, left me and our two little girls behind on August 3rd, 2016. At that time, I was a licensed clinician working at one of our local universities, very much involved in the community and doing a lot of suicide prevention work. And when my foot was on the other shoe, it was just like everything that I believed as a counselor, as a wife, as a mom, as just a human ceased to exist after that day. And it was just a complete devastation. I had and even after all the loss I had been through, suicide loss is different.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you have really important people in your life and a small circle of them as an only child and you're losing them. And so you're adjusting and adapting to those losses and and losing a support for your husband who's um, in need of support he struggled and, and he needed all his people in his small circle. And, and they were those layers and that buildup though, really couldn't have prepared you for the loss of your husband to suicide. And so you said that, um, that the day that he left you and your girls, everything changed. What were, yeah, your whole life changed. What were some of the you know, when you think about that time, what were some of the the hardest parts? You're a clinician. You're trained. You're an adult human with a life that you're living. What were some of the hardest parts about that that shift with that grief?
1: Oh, um, I would say it's kind of twofold. Like one was, even as a clinician, I did not recognize the trauma piece of grief right I had never really recognized it until I was in it right. so you know as suicide loss survivors a lot of us you know are the ones who find our loved ones or it happens in our homes um, and it was very much the trauma of the experience that in the first, probably six weeks to six months until I was diagnosed with PTSD. Yeah. Um, that were the hardest. I was not myself. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. Yeah. Um, I joke, I was yelling at people at Walmart. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Way out of character. You, you, you were, you were in the throes of a deep trauma response.
1: Absolutely. And had no idea as a clinician. That was it too. Like, I have no idea what's going
0: on. Yeah. And you're in survival mode in, in that, in that stretch of time, all you're trying to do is survive. And so whoever it is at Walmart, that's in your, you know, is in your way between you and survival is going to get it right. You know, and yeah, it's a, it's, it's such a terrible time.
1: And it was, I think, I couldn't do direct care.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: If I'm not okay, I'm not okay enough to help somebody else. So thankfully, I was the director of um, the counseling program at the university I was working at. So I had the ability to kind of step back and do administration work. And That really was a blessing, just because had I been just a full time clinician seeing clients, I don't know what I would have done, yeah. because I really was not in a space to be able to see people. Um, right, and so it really just shook my whole like I'm not even a counselor anymore. I'm not a wife. Like, what am I doing? And so there's a reason yeah. why they call us survivors, because. Um,
0: was surviving. Fairly. Right. You're, you're the last person standing, right? Your parents are gone. His dad's gone. And now he's gone. You're the last person standing, but you're not really standing. You're kind of hobbling.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and some days falling down more than hobbling. And yet you've got two beautiful little girls who need you to figure some things out. And Fortunately, you've got the the blessing at work of having a little bit of room to shift, so that you could um, hold space for yourself and and you know do still have work, right? So um, so in spite of these really significant challenges, also a little bit of space for a bit of hope in there. Um, when when you think about that time, what? What were the things that began to help you with finding some healing? What what help, what helped you when you were in that really dark, difficult time of raw pain and trauma and and then and then grief woven into all of that?
1: I would say right off the bat would be medication. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because I you're right. I was in like fight or flight mode all of the time. I could not reset that button. Um so I in order to just stabilize myself, medication was a piece of the puzzle, which was very humbling. As a counselor, you know, you always say, you know, it's okay if medication is a part of your treatment plan and counseling and all the things that you have to do to get better are important and it's okay but then when you're on the other side of that like i'm supposed to be helping people and it was a very humbling experience to have to be on the other side of that and say i need this medication in order to function in order to sleep in order to eat i always say i look like i was trying out for the zombie apocalypse right you know when people look at you and they're like are you sleeping Cause clearly I'm not, or are you eating? Because I, I wasn't doing either. And, you know, you just start to see that. And yep. so, um, yeah, the medication yep. was right, right off the bat. I don't think without the medication piece, I wouldn't have been able to stabilize enough to benefit from, I think therapy was next. Yep. And then I did, um, uh, when I went back to work, I went back to work full time and it was very clear that I wasn't able to do that. Um, because two hours felt like eight hours because my body was working so hard just to survive. So I, ha- I worked a shortened work day and I would leave work um, before the girls would get home or I had to pick them up and I would go um, to yoga. So I started the yoga practice and sweat and cried all at the same time and felt like that kind of that trifecta the medication the therapy the yoga and then being able to all helped me sleep at night and i think that was when things started to shift
0: right so i mean medication is absolutely a tool and you're right as clinicians and therapists we tell people all the time you got to use every tool that is available to you and and then therapy well being able to talk it out in a safe neutral zone right, where somebody's on your side and just there to help you focus on you, that's helpful. Especially if it's someone who really gets grief and trauma and can be with you in those really hard spaces without flinching back themselves, right, you know. And then yoga, you know, that allows us to move. When we do yoga or other types of body work, it allows us to move our feelings through our body and out into the world so that we're not just carrying it as heavily as we do when something like this happens, right? So thank goodness you found those things, those pieces of your puzzle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And at the time, I will tell you, I did not know yoga was helping me move through. It just felt like an outlet. It just felt like, you know, I don't know why it, it's helping and I, I'm not going to question it. So I'm going to do it. And then once I started to realize what it was actually doing, you know, I think fast forward and that's why we incorporated it now at White After Lost, because it was just that moving through it um, so that whatever I was bringing up was not getting stuck. Yeah. Um, and I, and so it just really happened by accident,
0: Yeah. But sometimes that's how we do find healing is we find the things that feel good or make us feel a little bit better. Even if it only makes us feel a little bit better for a few minutes, if we can do that and feel that for a few minutes, we have hope we can do it for longer and that we can find other things. And so those, those things you were doing helped you sleep. And we know that sleep is healing. We know that, we heal in our sleep physically and we heal in our sleep emotionally and mentally as well. And so when we're not sleeping, we're, our wounds are just deepening.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, there in those beginning, I would say at least the whole first year, maybe a little bit into the second that as soon as I would get up at seven and put my feet on the floor, I would say, is it, eight o'clock yet yeah. 8 p.m yeah
0: yeah <laughs> because it's like you want to get back into bed because you just know yeah. that that's all you have the energy for
1: yes like I there would be days I was just counting down the days and minutes and the hours just to get back to bed yeah because that's the only relief I kind of had at the time yeah um, yeah it's long days and then you got two little ones and yeah
0: yeah, so when I, when I talk about it, sometimes I talk about the idea that the first year after a traumatic loss is a little bit like trial by fire. Like you're you're kind of in up to your eyeballs. You don't know what's coming at you or what to expect or what's next. Everything is upside down and there's no rhyme or reason. You're just surviving the fire. And then the second year I talk about is kind of more like trial and error you have some idea of the things you did in that first year and whether they felt better or worse and so the things that you felt that helped you can in the second year you can do those again or expand on them and the things that did not help in the second year you do not have to do again <laughs> those you can leave that behind you <laughs> tried it didn't like it going on right yeah and then the third year after a traumatic Gloss is kind of like this space where it's like, okay, we're starting to see some of the things that help us. And they're, they're starting, they're starting to be able to be in our life more often. I'm sleeping better. I'm eating better. I, I know how I want to honor the person who died. I know how to take care of myself. And third year can kind of be a settling into that rhythm, knowing that, that those, um, kind of grief bursts are still going to happen knowing that um what you're doing is adjusting to this life story and not curing or fixing anything right there's nothing to be cured or fixed in this it's all no. about it's all about how you carry your story as you live with it
1: absolutely so the second year and not only for me but a lot of the survivors i work with now the second year is harder mhm um, which scares some of the newly bereaved, like, what? I thought you no. Know. Yeah. And it's other just in a different way. Like, but year one, you truly are just surviving yeah. and getting through like your basic needs. And then second year, some of that numb and shock and like all of the feelings start to settle in. Yeah. And those yeah. feelings alone are overwhelming. Yeah. Um so you, you know, starting to process some of what happened yeah. um, in a lot of the business stuff. Um, I like my business hat way more than I like my feeling hat. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, putting my business hat on was like, oh, I know how to do this. But the feelings yeah. were, were drowning in themselves. So the second year for me was when I, it was almost the acceptance that this was going to be a lifelong journey. Yeah. Um in the beginning of that second year. So I hung in there at the university for 18 months, but it was the beginning of that second year that I realized that I needed to step back. Yeah. I didn't know what that meant. Um, I really thought I was broken, like I was never gonna be okay enough to help anybody else. So I made plans and left um, 18 months. Um, I left and really had no plan. I let my counseling license lapse. I, I just was, it really got, I think, April of 2017. Nope, that would have been 2018. April of 2018, things got really dark yeah. um, to where now have I not only lost my husband, but I felt like I lost my career.
0: Your identity.
1: And, Yes, absolutely. Identity. And then like, I'm barely able to take care of myself and my, you know, how am I supposed to take care of my kids? And I just felt like I was failing on all, on all levels. Um, And that's where, you know, kind of the, the increased risk for suicide loss survivors comes in that we are also at risk for taking our own lives because we get to a point where like oh my gosh this darkness uh, is drowning me
0: how do i survive this and when you're a survivor of suicide loss you know that it's an option because it's part of your everyday life now and the person who's gone is is done with all of this
1: Yep. Anger in there. You can throw some anger in there because yeah. in those moments, you feel like, you know, at least for me, like he's doing okay now.
0: He's out of, he's free of it <laughs> and I'm in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like
1: He left this mess and I'm never going to be okay. And yeah. so, yeah, it was a dark, dark time. Um, I'm so thankful. I just did not, you know, I continue to do the things that I knew
0: yeah.
1: get me through it. So I was still showing up on my mat, still going to my therapist, even if I yeah. felt like it wasn't working, still,
0: still going, you know, still just go doing the things that, that you knew might, might help if you just kept doing them. And I think, you know, I think what you're talking about in that second year is also this, that it's like in the first year, there's that element of maybe it's not real. And that numbness and denial is kind of operating all through that first year. And the second year, the reality just weighs on you. It just lands on you. This is not going away. And I think it's so important to talk about that experience of the darkness for survivors of suicide loss, because it is such a risk. And we're so afraid to talk about it in case it might come true but it's already come true for survivors and so not talking about it just leaves people feeling more isolated so thank you for being you know able to share so honestly and openly about that difficult time for you yeah and you
1: know I never imagined I would be in a place where I was you know thinking that I was a burden or my children would be better off yeah and it was a very scary time for me. Yeah. But then at the same time, like it gave me that perspective of where Craig was. Yeah. yeah. And so today I'm thankful because I was really angry and bitter and resentful. And then once I ended up in that dark place, mm-hmm. no matter what I was doing, I was still feeling like, I had no. I no longer had a purpose, and you know, all of i was starting to get hopeless. Yeah, like that's when it clicked for me that this is the dark place yeah. that I landed in. And you know, I I think at that point I had more empathy and compassion.
0: There's some space for forgiveness there.
1: It's like oh yeah
0: yeah. This,
1: because never in a million years would I have ever thought that my kids would be better off without me.
0: No. So no, just even having that thought, yeah, like, wow, yeah, dark, dark, yeah, and and I think you know I think as as we move through this life, we forget that sometimes they're really dark for many of us. And some of us more often are more dark than others. And that's just, you know, um, individual differences for lots of reasons. But, but you know, it's life is not all happy and joy. There's a lot of pain in life. And so we want to remember that there's a possibility of, of coming through pain, of healing, of recovering, of finding meaning and purpose and hope again, if we can hold on right and so you you kept going to therapy you kept hitting the yoga mat you kept doing your day-to-day things getting up at 7 and wondering how soon could you go back to bed right and 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 then as that carried on as you just kept going where did you start to find more hope coming into your life
1: the end of year 2 was the i feel like the huge shift so you know i had quit my job Let my license lapse. Um, I actually was um, had started to become a yoga teacher, so started to take some classes because that was really like how healing it had been. Um, So wanted to learn more, and that's when I learned about you know some of the healing properties of yoga and movement in general, Mm -hmm. um, body based stuff. So I ended up in a training called yoga unchained. And it was done by a um, yoga instructor and a trauma therapist. And it was for um, yoga instructors on how to have more trauma informed classes. And so it was um, Dr. Jamie marriage, who was still a really good friend of mine. Um, she said these words, and I feel like it was the the thing that kind of kicked the door back open for me was you can heal from trauma. So for somebody who feels like she is broken and lost it all (laughs) to hear, you can heal from trauma, even as a clinician did not have that frame of mind. And so sent me home with some resources. And of course, being who I am, I just dive headfirst into those and understanding PTSD and the fight or flight response and all of the physical physiological things that were going on with me that I felt out of control all of a sudden like oh I can do something about this right and so that's when um EMDR came into the picture and reprocessing some of those triggers yep. um, because again I was still getting triggered just leaving my house and yep. I went pretty much from like grief counseling and therapy to trauma counseling and therapy. And it did not take, but a few sessions and that shift for me to realize that, okay, I'm going to be all right. Um, it's, and so that's when, you know, kind of everything, I guess just the the sun came out again. Right. <laughs> It might have been cloudy, but the, but the sun is
0: out for you. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah. just this blinking light of yeah. of hope that yes, I I I, I can yeah. see it. It is not consistent, but I'm just gonna keep heading in this direction.
0: So you know that your story to me really highlights how important it is that um people who've had a traumatic experience and um, a traumatic loss. Um, where the grief and trauma are linked and woven together, how important it is for them to have that understanding. What happened to you in the aftermath of Craig's death was a natural response of your system trying to cope with something that overwhelmed it. You know, you were all those experiences you were having of not eating, not sleeping, not um, coping in different ways, trying to get through the day. All of that was just your body trying to survive and not knowing if it was gonna your brain and and your brain seeing and sensing things in the environment and that queuing up a trauma response from you sometimes we use the word trigger. Uh, sometimes the word trigger is a trigger. So, you know, that the language around saying it cues you up for the response also works. Right. And, and so to hear those words, you can heal from trauma from someone who believes and knows it to be true that you trust is so powerful. And, and then, and then to be able to do some of that type of trauma therapy, like EMDR and and uh, there are a few different types, but EMDR has got a really good um, record in terms of helping people reprocess what happened to them so that they're not in the experience when they have those those um, situations, events, sensory experiences that remind them of the situation. Yeah.
1: Yeah, really for me was the, the thing that kept me from just reacting to my environment all the time because yeah. I truly, I think that's all I was doing was just reacting. And I would add in, you know, put my Brene Brown hat on, the whole guilt and shame yeah. of reacting. Yeah. So it was one thing to be reacting, but then the guilt and shame of like yelling at my daughter's principal in front of her. And that's where I felt like, oh my gosh, my kids have been through a traumatic experience and I'm just re-traumatizing them yeah. Um, and just not being able to control it. Like no matter what I did, if I was going to flip my lid, I was going to flip my lid. And so then I would spend the next two or three days just feeling so guilty and shame, and I'm broken. Yeah, and That's where some of those suicidal thoughts came in. Like, oh my goodness.
0: Yeah, when really all you were doing was having a natural response to your pain and fear. And you didn't, you know, shame and guilt happen when we think that we, we did something bad. I mean, guilt is, we think we did something bad. Shame is we think we are bad. Right. And, and none of that is ever true we may, as human beings, we may make mistakes. We may do things that are considered bad from time to time, but none of us is bad. And so when we start to realize that all of our behaviors have a purpose, we're trying to meet a need, and sometimes it's not very successful. Sometimes it causes us more problems the way that we're trying to get our needs met, right? But until we until we are taken by the hand, and cared for and shown a different way. We don't know. We don't have something different. And so you had some people in your life who were able to take you by the hand, care for you in the in these you know situations, and show you it's okay. You can heal. There's another way, right? Yes.
1: Kind of a whole. You're having a normal reaction to an abnormal
0: experience.
1: Yeah. I validating that there is nothing wrong with you. Your body is doing. Your body and brain are doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Right. We need to, you know, get it back to a place where it's reacting to things that are threats, yeah. not everything else around you. Yeah.
0: We need it to know that you're not in immediate danger, that the danger has passed, that what's going to happen is already done and you're safe now. And you can start here. Right. Mm-hmm so powerful. So tell me a little bit about how that journey has led you to light after loss at the hope and healing center.
1: Yeah. So that was in October of the second year. I did that yoga unchained threw myself into, you know, like the trauma world, um, and research and studied. And then, um, you know, my personal therapist, you know, was even willing to shift with me Um, which was awesome being able to go to her and say, okay, you know, I want to, want to shift how we're doing this. And what do you think about this? And, you know, she learned right along with me. And um, so having that experience. And so we're kind of at the end of uh, 2018 and it really was like the acceptance of I'm never going to be the same person. So, even with EMDR, and I'm not yelling at people at Walmart, and I am still not the same. Yeah. My focus and concentration has still been affected. You know, just the way I'm a different human. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not broken. I'm just different. Mm-hmm. It's not right or wrong, good or bad. It's just different. And so, that acceptance, I think, was really my big shift um, to where, okay, how do I integrate this? in our lives or the rest of our lives. Cause that's what people don't tell you. Like this is a forever journey yeah. and
0: yeah.
1: thinking like, how do I, the pain is always there on some level. Yeah. And the trauma is, you know, pokes its head in and out. Um, so how do I live with this? But then also go back to doing the things that bring me joy. And that I love to help people. And it truly was at the end of um, 2018, where Light After Loss um, was born. So I did a survivors of suicide loss presentation for one of my friends in the college counseling community. And it was called Light After Loss. Um, and did that. And I think that was not the first time I had shared my story, but I think the first time I had shared my story and felt better, mm-hmm. um, because that hadn't happened. Um, and I felt the impact of just sharing my experience and the people who came up and shared their experience and just that connection. So, you know, asked. Um, And Kelsey, you know, can I use this name? I'm thinking of starting a nonprofit. And so Light After Loss literally was born January 1st, 2019, with no idea where it would go.
0: Right. (laughs) Um,
1: I knew that, you know, our local suicide loss support group had been eliminated because of budget cuts and yada, yada. So truly, I just wanted to have maybe recreate that support group Um, and so we did, but now I think once we did that, and I think the mental health community who knew me and, you know, watched my journey were just as impacted by what I was going through. Um, because I was seen as this person, this professional, and then I quit my career and I think everybody loves a comeback story. So when I came back and did Light After Loss, I think people were just like, "Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, walking, talking face of recovery and um, post traumatic growth." Right? I think we all want those stories of yeah, walking through the fire and coming out the other side.
0: Well, and I think that I think that's possible for everybody who goes through the fire, and sometimes the right people show up to help find the path out of the fire at the right time it sounds like you've had some some beautiful supports in your life as well as these really you know difficult experiences you've also had some real supports show up and that's helped you and not you know for people who are listening to us talk today about your story you know I, I, i'd like that to be part of what they take away is that it is possible and to look for those look for those people that have a handout because lots of times when you're suffering from a stigmatized loss like suicide loss people turn away because they're afraid or they don't know um and there there are those people sometimes with their hand out and open to you and and sometimes it's being able to find them and so you were well connected in the community already before your loss of Craig and so those you were attuned to those, um, those helping hands in a way that sometimes people are not able to, they don't know that they're there and know to look for them.
1: Yeah. Which is, I think some of the motivator for light after loss is because I do now that I can look back, I can see myself as privileged. I was privileged. I was in the mental health community. I had connections. I knew how to work the system like i know who to call when to call how to call what to say like yeah so i felt you know ahead of the game and is even though i was struggling as much as i was yeah i was still uh, you know privileged in some ways so like light after loss and now the hope and healing center really is my way of giving back
0: yes and to and creating for for everybody in your community what you were able to find that you needed being able to create that and make it more accessible for anybody who who doesn't have the privilege and knowledge that you had because because even with all of that knowledge and privilege you know that sounds like it was one of the most if not the most difficult time of your life to come through and so here you are your story of loss is full of challenges and pain And also has hope woven into it and is in this place where now your story is offering hope and healing to others. And part of that is through the creation of Light After Loss at the Hope and Healing Center, where, you know, I know that your desire is for everybody to hear and have more of exactly what they need for healing after suicide loss and when trauma and grief intersect.
1: Absolutely. And if it, even if it's just like, those words that, um, Jamie said to me, you can heal from trauma that kicked the door open to all of the rest. Had I not heard those words, you know, you probably wouldn't even be sitting here. It was just those words I needed to hear
0: to kind of flip the switch. Yeah. And, and sharing your story lets people know that it's possible for that flip to that switch to flip.
1: Yes, I'm not special. I know people get all upset when I say that. (laughs) Like, I'm not special. Um, That, you know, your brain is my brain and, you know, resetting the fight or flight and doing the body-based work and trauma, like it, it works for all of us. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Well, we have, yeah, we have these common functions. And there's survival mode function, and then there's thriving function. And um, when we're in survival mode, it's hard to thrive. And um, once we can flip that switch, whatever we find that does that um, can move us into a, a space where we can thrive. And thriving doesn't mean leaving behind the pain, it means growing around the pain and finding ways to carry it so that. It becomes a part of your story, and not all all that your story is.
1: So we get that question a lot. Um, is you know we say hope for healing, and like I'll never heal. People will say, and I'm like, it's not really healing in the sense of everything's roses and rainbows and what happened never happened. It really is the integration of what happened. Into this moment, um, and every moment is different. I still have really rough days. I, you know, yep. so it's not roses and rainbows. It's just being able to kind of like you know they always say grief comes in waves. It's kind of yeah. like surfing the waves,
0: surfing the waves, and also, all, yeah, I love the analogy of surfing the waves. And I also, I'm, you know, I hold on to the idea of we have two hands and we can hold pain in one hand and we can still hold joy and hope in the other. And, and, and so we've got, we've got space to carry what we need to. It's a matter of, of how do we soften the sharp edges? How do we um, develop the muscles we need to carry the weight that has been delivered to us? Right. And we do that through therapy and yoga and sleep and and storytelling and story receiving and and all of those things that help us develop those emotional muscles. Yeah, yeah. And then and then it becomes a part of what happened to you, not the only thing you can focus on.
1: Yep, it's always a piece of me, um, mm-hmm. and I'm able to look back and say, I'm thankful for some of. The experiences,
0: yeah,
1: because it it had allowed me to forgive Craig. Yeah, not until I was in that darkness, yeah, did I realize how dark it was. So it gave me the perspective. That's what it gave me. Yeah. Perspective yeah. It gave me the perspective, and I'm thankful for that perspective. Wouldn't wish it on anybody else, yeah. but it helped me understand. Yeah. Um, not be
0: as angry. I think about that concept with post-traumatic growth a lot too, because while we would never wish to go through a traumatic event, when we find growth is part of our journey afterwards and it brings us to something that brings us, you know, beauty in our life, joy, love, hope, healing, help. Um, when When we come to that growth, it's because of the pain that we live through. And so, so there's an element of trying to be grateful, even though you would have never chosen it, you would never wish it on anybody. Um, But that's, to me, that's part of holding the pain and holding the, the positives too. The other thing I sometimes compare it to is like physical wounds, right? So, you know, if you, if you break a bone in your body and, um if you break your femur uh you know that's a pretty devastating injury and you're going to be out of commission for some time and that bone is maybe going to need some supports like metal and pins and whether it needs those or not when it heals there's always going to be a scar there's always going to be evidence of an old fracture and a scar on the body and on cold days you'll feel that ache and and I feel like living with traumatic loss is like living with an old broken bone injury. It's always present. And some days it aches a little more than others. And some days it's hard to walk with it and other days it's manageable. It's, it's a, it's a familiar ache if nothing else. Yeah.
1: I think that's perfect. Cause it's totally true. Yeah. Um, it's, it's there. Um, I would say the only thing that is different is when you have scars, like physical scars, people see those and they're like, oh, what happened? And they want to know your story. Um, But with some of these kind of scars, um, you know, difficult conversations and the stigma around suicide, especially, I think we're doing a little bit better on the mental health end, but suicide is still that don't say it. Um, don't want to catch
0: it. Yeah. Um, we have a long way to go in recognizing that emotional pain and scars are just as valid as physical pain and scars. Um, as a society, we have a long way to go in recognizing that and honoring it and and treating people gently with their emotional wounds. Um, the way that we treat them with physical wounds. Um, and I think that's true across the board when it comes to mental health and, and and suicide is part of that. Hasn't that added stigma? Absolutely. Um, the as you know, I understand that the research shows that emotional pain lights up the exact same centers in the brain that physical pain does, and so it's time for us to recognize emotional pain is real and valid um, and acts in our lives the same way physical injuries and pain do. Um,
1: And I think they have the same
0: consequences
1: too. So like, if you don't deal with your emotional pain and you bury it, it's going to come out physically. So, you know, we're whole human beings. You don't separate those two. So um, dealing and accepting the emotional piece of healing is super important to your ultimate physical health and well-being.
0: Absolutely. And at the, at light after Loss at the hope and healing center, you are offering people that space to acknowledge all of them as a whole person who's wounded and, and working on healing, working towards integration of this, this story of loss into the story of their life. And uh, I'm grateful for the work that you're doing and I'm grateful for our conversation today and hope that, um, your story continues to move out into the world and and help others see the possibility of hope and healing.
1: I appreciate it. Just the opportunity to share my story and hope and um, and things that Light After Loss has become and now the Hope Healing Center. It is absolutely amazing. And I think it's just because of folks like you who support what we're doing and support us as individuals. So I appreciate it so very much.
0: Excellent. Thanks, Shannon. Thank you for listening to the Grief Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard. Please remember that grief is universal, but every person's experience of grief is unique. While our interviews are intended to help listeners feel validation and reassurance, we realize that these stories may be different from your own. Please visit our website, griefstories.org, for more stories of hope and healing.